Hola, my name is Gerardo Sandoval, your host of Healthcare Untold. Healthcare Untold is a podcast dedicated to giving voice to everyday heroes and their untold health stories that can improve health to our most vulnerable communities. This is Healthcare Untold. It is my privilege and honor to welcome Juan Antonio Cuellar, Frontera Collection Curator for our Huli Records. Bienvenido, señor Juan Antonio. <laughs> Gracias, Gerardo. It's a complete pleasure to be here. Um, and um, I'm going to try my best to try to add, you know, some some of my experience here at the Frontera Collection uh, to the conversation that you guys have, important conversations that you guys have established with this podcast. So thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You know, we have a lot of history together, you know, history with the music. Yes. Um, it is music that brought us together, Absolutely. literally. Um, back in the days when we were in the, our college years, mm -hmm. uh, music brought us together. Yep. And here we are talking about music again. In this case, uh, what brought us together is some mutual friends, um, my partner, uh, co-host here on Healthcare Untold, and um, John Leopold there with you guys at our Huli Records. We thought to understand what you guys are doing and how important it is. And then to reflect on that collection, that history, that foundation you guys have, and how important that is for us currently in this state, in this era, but also that history of how music has impacted us, in particular speaking about the Latina, Latino, Chicano, mm -hmm. Chicanx experience. Sure, absolutely. No, I think uh, that's an important point to establish because music does play a huge part in this community's challenges and celebrations. Now, give me a brief history of our Huli Records. Well, our Huli Records was started by um, Chris Strockwitz in the 60s. Um, and it was mainly a vehicle for him to... Um, record music that he loved, specifically vernacular music, out, music that was outside of the of the commercial sphere and space. Um, and he focused a lot of his recordings on um, Delta Blues, Cajun, and a lot of this vernacular music that was being created here in the United States, but didn't wasn't as popular as the, the pop culture music that was being produced. And through his love of ethnic music, mm -hmm. um, he amassed the largest collection of Mexican-American recordings, specifically ones that were made along the border in Texas and into Mexico as well. So in, in his years of, <clears throat> and his love basically pushed his drive to, like I said, amass this largest collection. Um, and at that point, um, once he established the foundation, which is kind of like an offshoot of the Orhuli Records, which is basically to preserve and disseminate the vernacular music that he was documenting. Um, the Frontera Collection was born. And the Frontera Collection's focus was basically to, um, to preserve, document, and disseminate this music that belonged to an overlooked community, which basically was the 
Mexican immigrant experience here in, in the United States. And over the last 20 years, beginning in 2001, the Arhuli Foundation um, has taken on the great task of digitizing the Frontera collection. Mm. Um, and it's the largest repository of commercially uh, produced vernacular recordings in existence. Uh, like I mentioned, it was an extension that was built on the DNA uh, carried over from our Huli records, um, again, which was sort of by Chris Strzokowicz, whose love of American music was basically the catalyst for recording and releasing. And I think it's important to say that it was tradition-based vernacular music, and it wasn't not defined solely by its commercial appeal. Uh, the focus of the Frontera collection was basically, again, to preserve <clears throat> these musical artifacts um, that came from and belonged to the fastest growing minority group um, in the United States, um, basically taking them from um, well, dusty collector shelves and putting them back into the hands um, of the community that it came from. Um, and these artifacts represent basically an oral history of the Mexican immigrant experience here in the United States. And it's through these um, records that we get to listen to our history, which I think is extremely empowering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I took a class with uh, our mutual friend, mm -hmm. um, Dr. Russell Rodriguez. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I've always been fascinated by music, um, and growing up and whatnot, and what you speak to and what you're speaking about. He spoke to us in regards to like Lidia Mendoza, sure. you know, and people like Los Alegres de Teran, mm -hmm. uh, Flaco Jimenez, yeah. uh, that border collection, that frontera mm -hmm. collection, and how important those musicians were for the Mexican American experience of the early 1900s um that is something that we don't really understand unless people like our Huli and professors like uh dr rosa rodriguez uh, bring it to light and absolutely so that importance that you're creating that collection that you're establishing um working in collaboration with a foundation and also with the smithsonian um, that in itself is something uh, spectacular to be yeah. to be working with an institution uh, of that caliber, uh, which really understands that it is important that our Mexican American experience, our musical culture, is important and it's been documented and now yeah. digitized. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the focus now for for us the real work now begins and and that's basically highlighting the stories the musicians the composers that are that have contributed to that musical landscape because one of the main frustrations in these last 20 years as mm -hmm. the head digitizing engineer at the frontera collection has always been that there is very little written about the music and the music makers so, for example, when I when I was digitizing and I, and, I, and I heard a very powerful song, I immediately ran, you know, to do some online searches, and it was just a ghost town. Mm -hmm. These the roads mm -hmm. led to nowhere. The mm -hmm. roads that I was trying to search led to what we're doing here. So that lack of information, that lack of spotlight of 
I would say 80% of the musicians or composers that are contained in this collection, there's very, very little written about and documented, you know. So, and and, and I, I got to clarify a point that the, the Smithsonian basically now owns Arhuli Records. Um, yes. And the foundation is a separate um, entity, which, okay. the front, which is part of the Frontera collection. Okay. The, the main partnership that we do have is with the UCLA Chicano Studies Research Center. Mm-hmm. And and what they were they what they were able to do with the help of Los Tigres del Norte and um, uh, well, they were able to um, basically put our collection online for students and researchers at the UCLA campus. And they wrote a book with Agustin Gursa, the, the late um, LA Times mm-hmm. music critic. Um, but they were the first to make this collection available publicly granted you were only able to listen to 90 seconds of the song but at least the data and the metadata behind Mm -hmm. these records were available to um, the general public but now as we transition into our own storytelling and and promoting and disseminating this extremely important um, collection uh, in 2018 we we started a youtube channel to basically upload all our digital Mm -hmm. files and our digital assets to youtube so people Anybody with the phone, with the computer, with the laptop, whatever, they can listen to our collection. They can have their own conversations. They can tap into old recordings of their family members, which has been an extremely important aspect of us making this public, is that this collection is um, connecting family members with their own family members music that they had been lost for for years for decades and so you know yeah tell me i i tell me i didn't do this i actually was on youtube uh, searching for music and it was then that i came across some old old uh tejano recordings um pre lalo guerrero you know Uh and and I was like, wow, this is fascinating. And I see the record and I see, it. and then I see something that says like Juan Antonio Cuella. And I was like, what? You know, it's like, you're, you know, it's like you're, you digitize this, you uploaded this. And I was like, what is this? is so uh, incredible. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I absolutely agree. And I thank you for, you know, doing this because it's so important and so vital to uh, keep uh, documenting our history and making it available. Tell me a little bit about that experience. You know, we in the past have geeked out about these, um, you know, the wax cylinders, you know, the, 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 literally you're touching uh, these uh, old, old records, Yeah. you know, and tell me a little bit about that experience. Just like you said earlier, listening to one song that, you know, impacted you and and how it's how is how is it currently happening and it continues to well the the process has always been an, an analog process where we take mm-hmm. the um the artifact the, the the recording the vinyl or the shellac or the tape and so it's a physical product and we digitize it in real time so we press play and rec- much like much like in the same way we used to make mm-hmm. our old mixtapes we press play and then record we listen to the song and based on the lyrical content, we came up with these keywords that best describe the theme of the song. Mm-hmm. And what I think is extremely important about not only the lyrical content, but the melody about these recordings is that they're very cathartic to 
our community because our, our community has deep rooted trauma, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it goes back to us immigrating here, looking for a better life. But the challenges that were presented as an immigrant living, transitioning into this dominant culture, you know, we were faced with police brutality. We were faced with discrimination. Mm-hmm. We were faced with a lot of laws that were basically prohibiting us to progress. And a lot of the, those issues are documented in these recordings. And what's a really important is to establish the fact that music and the themes are cyclical. Mm-hmm. What people and artists, musicians, composers were singing about in the 1920s, the 1930s, those themes resurface in today's music. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're still being discriminated against. Yeah. We're still yeah. uh, redlining, you know, a, a, a lot of these laws that are being created mm-hmm. to to keep, you know, this immigrants, not just the Mexican Mexican Americans, but all immigrants from, you know, establishing a, a healthy life here. And like I said, this music is extremely cathartic to that community because it's empowering to hear those themes resurface mm-hmm. now, but they were established in the 20s and 30s and as early as, you know, 1920s. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, understanding history, understanding the history of music, we, you know, we very much well know that historically music has been so important. We talk about the Himes that are um, African-American experienced Absolutely. during the era of slavery mm-hmm. in the United States and how that uh, enabled them to survive. Uh, what they were experiencing, um, you know, the Mexican American experiences also, and in especial uh, La Frontera collection, and those have been influenced. And knowing that it was the Catholics, the Spaniards, who introduced certain musical instrumentation, yes, possibly forced, you mm-hmm. know, our natives. At the time, in yep. the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, at the time, a lot of these natives were Native American and Native Mexicanos because mm-hmm. the country was one at the time. Yeah. Right. So that introdu- introduction of that instrumentation and that music and music, um, uh, I guess, abilities and... and, and uh, um, teachings impacted how we continue to communicate. And we talked a little bit about La Cultura Cura. Yeah. Something that we know is been around and coined by our gente for many, many years. Um, recently, Nane Alejandres uh, from Barrios Unidos, uh-huh. uh, Jerry Teo, you know, um, also has been coined to use uh, La Cultura Cura as a form of health and healing philosophy. Yes, absolutely. So music and and that that culture of us, that culture of ours, and how it's transformative, how it can and has kept us healthy, and let's recognize that it does heal us. Absolutely. And, and I think you you bring a, a, an, an interesting but very special point. <clears throat> and how, how does music 
play or what is its role in one healing, two, acknowledging the trauma, three, and addressing that trauma. And, and I think if you take those three points, music um, is a vehicle to help alleviate or at least help answer those questions. And um, it, it, it brings me this quote or <clears throat> just something that Alex Doman said in the Tech Talk. Alex Doman was an, is an author, entrepreneur, public speaker, a product creator, um, who's got basically 25 years experience in leadership mm-hmm. in brain health and neurotechnology. And therapeutic in, in the therapeutic music market. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to say that the music engages your brain as a reward system and it basically releases a feel-good transmitters called dopamine. And it's the same chemical that is released. Mm-hmm. We taste delicious food and see beautiful things or fall in love. And so if if you take those elements and you basically present it to a community who's hurting or is wrought with trauma based on their history here, that is a vehicle for one healing and acknowledging that there is the deep-rooted trauma within our community. And music is not only healing, but it also is empowering to for people to hear their experiences through song mm-hmm. with a melody because it starts registering differently with different people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, and but- I, can, I can tell you, uh, man, uh, over the 20 years, how many times I've sat in my chair alone in this room digitizing this music, mm-hmm. but, you know, I'm, I'm sitting all of a sudden crying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. there's these emotions that I've kind of bottled up through mm-hmm. all these years. It's something resonated with a certain lyric, a certain melody that just kind of like opened up the floodgates to my emotions. Mm-hmm. It was very cathartic, mm-hmm. very healing, very spiritual. And it was all rooted on not necessarily my experience, but what the composer or the singer was singing about yeah yeah in doing a little bit of research about how the healing power of music mm-hmm. i came across an article on the university of wisconsin madison wisconsin's mm-hmm. mental health page and you know it states that it's it's music is a universal language uh, a great healer, mm-hmm. um, even a reflection of the divine, you know, to the point where uh, the psychologist uh, Sheila Mergrain, you mm-hmm. know, she states that even Hippocrates believed music was deeply intertwined with the medical arts. Sure. Right. So, la cultura cura, how we experience music but in your case, documenting these artists who are the storytellers of those experiences. Yeah. And uh, in in my class with um, uh, Dr. Russell Rodriguez, he pointed something out about these um, music indexes, you know, these experiences and how uh, he called it the affinity of sentiment. Mm-hmm. social, political, economical, and cultural. Sure. You know. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I think those are ex- extremely important points to to highlight in, in terms of what this collection represents because mm-hmm. it, it it does reflect our experience here. Mm-hmm. And and when you when you put that experience to song, yeah. it hits different. It, as as opposed to reading somebody's experience in a book, 
of course it's going to resonate with you. One, because you have a shared experience. And even if you don't, something about it is going to resonate with you. But when you mm -hmm. put it, the song, it has a completely different element. You can close your eyes and listen to it and insert mm -hmm. yourself in that storyline because you have shared lived experiences. And I think what it what's important about that when you insert that element of music behind that story, it adds a deeper layer of understanding of yourself, yeah. your place in history, and it validates your experience here. One, because uh, what they are singing about is reflective of your own experience. Because mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. you know, growing up, you think that you are you're the only person experiencing what you're going mm -hmm. through, and when you actually make not really not really discovery, but when you actually figure out that these experiences are cyclical, that one person had been going through the mm -hmm. same things you're feeling with 50, 40, 70 years ago, and they're singing it in your own language, in your mm -hmm. own voice. It's very powerful. Yeah. Not alone. And it's part of that healing process that we are all striving to, to get to. This collection that you are digitizing, mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about some of those artists. Um, well, you know, the collection has over 170,000 songs. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And and I can and I can give you more more metadata behind how many genres, how many artists, how many composers there is, but I I think the 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 ones that have resonated throughout history um have been Lydia Mendoza the first mm. Tejana Queen. Yes. Um and one particular song which we will link in the description of this podcast has mm -hmm. been uh a song that she recorded in the mid 70s for the Falcon record label and it's called Canta Pajarito Canta. Oh yeah. yeah. And it's an, an extremely mm -hmm. beautiful mm -hmm. somber song that when I first reheard it or digitized it um I, I was just left in tears. And I thought maybe you know <clears throat> It was just a day. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't imagine that song. I played right. it so much. So I, I, I kind of sat with it. And a week later, I played it again. And it had the same effect on me. And it basically is a somber lament where she, Lydia Mendoza sings about a little bird that comes and mm -hmm. sings a song. And she thinks it's her mother, her, her mother who just passed, visiting mm -hmm. her. And when she tries to reach out to her, the bird flies away. Mm -hmm. And... That melody mm -hmm. compounded with those lyrics brought something out of me. And it just opened up, like I said, opened up the, my emotional floodgate. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, music, and specifically music in Spanish, at least for me, because, you know, I'm, uh, I'm from Mexico. English is my second language. Mm -hmm. To hear those emotions in your native language is so extremely powerful. And so Lydia Mendoza to me has a huge space in my heart and in my soul because she they called her la alondra de la frontera which mm -hmm. basically is the metal, metal arc of the border and her her experience and her lyrics and her voice resonated with the common man and woman because she just felt, sang so many heartfelt lyrics you know uh something else about lydia is mm -hmm. uh the guitar style she yeah. played absolutely you know it's Absolutely. very unique. How many people can play that type of guitar? Um, 
in that style, you know, because she was influenced by everything that was going on in La Frontera at the time. Yeah, absolutely. The Czech, German, yeah. uh, the Spanish, you know, and the Mexicano. Yeah. It was such a melting pot, you know, mm-hmm. the, the way she plays that 12th string guitar. A 12th string guitar. Yeah, 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 yeah. One, you know, being a woman and at that age and a, and at that time was extremely difficult in terms of being a musician. She was mm-hmm. really uh, protected by her mother, who was the patriarch, the matriarch of the family. Mm-hmm. She was really well protected. And, and, and it wasn't until um, she got her first recording gig as a soloist, she recorded a song called Mal Hombre. Mm. And it was a song that she lyrically she um she got from a a, a bubblegum rapper that she kept all these years until she went to a carpa and actually heard um what I th- who I think is Elisa Beruman actually sing mm. it live. So she found she got the melody behind she actually discovered the melody. She went and recorded it. And what's important about this is that she sings from a woman's point of view. Yeah having disdain towards this cruel man who broke her heart, which was completely unheard of to hear songs from a woman's perspective, but she did it, you know, in midnight, in the mid 1930s. She was barrio before Paquita, la del barrio. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Without knowing that she was, you know, in a very good way, in a very good way, you know, and it wasn't that, you know, uh, Chris started recording her in the seventies as well. Mm. And so she's had, you know, this huge trajectory of of music 40, 50 years, you know, mm-hmm. up until her last recordings, um, which were we here at the Frontera Collection, we just put in a grant to try to give um Lydia Mendoza an online presence mm-hmm. website dedicated to her, nice. her story. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna be told in her own words. We have 10 years of interviews with her. So wow. we've digitized those and now we are going to be able to tell her story through her own words, which I think is important. So mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Lydia Mendoza, you've got many of artists that you're digitizing, you're yeah. experiencing this physically, emotionally, mentally. Uh-huh. It's impacting you. How do you feel as the one person who is putting all this together? And I'm speaking to and I'm asking about you as a person, as a musician yourself. Mm-hmm. It's it's extremely humbling uh, for many reasons. And, and I think for me that when I, when I was playing music, um, I was being influenced by these voices, by these experiences that not only reflected my own, but they were adding... A musical note to my own creativity. Um, the way that these composers used nature as time passing. Quince mm-hmm. los um, tres primaveras que no te he visto. You know, translate to the last three years that I haven't seen you. You know, it's extremely poetic, yeah. and I and I internalized those lyrics, but I didn't. I was didn't necessarily use them as as my own personal vehicle to write, but mentally they did affect me in a deeper level than trying to recreate or or sideways write a lot of what they were doing but um it definitely impacted me more than i thought it would because um it basically wrote my place in history here and i you know as an immigrant as somebody who's always trying to kind of fit into the dominant culture who's really struggling but knowing that you're never going to be part of the dominant culture the 
this music said, hey, you know what? You're okay. You're going to be okay. And it was almost like a, a musical hug that I've been looking for and needing all, all these years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as as I was struggling my own with my own personal mental health, I always found music as a as a refuge mm-hmm. to basically push back all those feelings of inadequacy or or of isolation or thinking mm-hmm. that you're the only person going through these emotions. And I always used music as an escape. Uh, because these composers had an ability to tap into and verbalize experiences that I couldn't mm-hmm. talk about. I couldn't right. express myself. So I used music as as that that golden key to un, to unlock all these emotions in me that I've held back, that I pushed mm-hmm. completely, you know, buried. Mm-hmm. So these last 20 years, it um validated my my feelings growing up. It validated mm-hmm. my experience. And uh, it gave me personally um, a sense of pride mm-hmm. with this musical collection that um, I was fortunate to digitize over 170,000 songs. And I've digit- wow. digitized 140,000 of those right. in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had the unique experience of listening to other people's creativity, mm-hmm. but also having to be reflective of my own experiences. Right. And that's something that I wish everybody would take from mm-hmm. it because um, what's written in this music, not only is, is it healing, not only is it a celebration of life, but it's a mirror mm-hmm. to your experience. If you're, you know, of course, an immigrant here in, in, in California and in the United States or, you know, so I think that this, this collection, if you dig deep enough, you will find your story. You're using this or have experienced this as your own musical therapy. Absolutely. You know, and so there again, it's proof that music heals uh, and it's absolutely. got the power, at the power of healing. The uh, Another thing that Alex Stillman, that I read, he's, he goes on to say that that your brain is rewarded and changed by music. Mm-hmm. Um, he encourages he encourages you to sing songs, go to concerts, and play mm-hmm. an instrument and music and listen to music daily, uh, because it it will enhance your life and the lives of people that you care about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an extremely important point because when you actually immerse yes. yourself in and and at least creating a soundtrack to your daily life, what you're doing is you're establishing a train of mental postcards that mm. you're going to draw from in your mm-hmm. later years. You know, was, since I've had my daughter, um, my musical uh, conception has changed a lot. It went from, you know, hardcore punk, ska, mm-hmm. of course, what was doing mm-hmm. here in the, in the Frontera collection, but my musical uh, soundtrack revolved around her likes. So it was mm-hmm. a lot of Disney. It was mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, uh, nursery rhymes. And I know that when I go and she's flew the nest, those mm-hmm. songs are 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 going to be those mental postcards that I'm going to mm-hmm. just hold on to for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not only just those experiences, but those songs that we were listening to when she was two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. watching those Disney movies, yeah. singing together. Those are going to wreck me when I'm older and she's away. Mm-hmm. And, but in a positive way, because they're establishing, establishing this line of, of togetherness and, mm-hmm. and uh, memory. You know, 
there is something to say about how beautiful that experience you're having with your daughter mm -hmm. and how importantly beautiful it is also what you're doing with the Frontera Collection there at our Holy Records. I want to thank you for your time. Of course. I want to support everything that our Huli is doing and express what you said earlier, that your hopes is that people use this collection that's being digitized to do the same, to give you an opportunity to create those musical postcards, those experience, those memories to recall, you know, to help and to heal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I want to thank you, um, Gerardo, for giving me this this opportunity to, to not only, um, you know, share my experience, but also share what this collection is about and what it means to a community and how it could be used to heal, celebrate, and and more importantly, validate our existence here. We here at Healthcare Untold would like to thank you as one of our local heroes for helping us heal through music. Ah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And, and again, I want to thank you and Health Untold for giving me this time, space, and opportunity. I really do appreciate it. Healthcare Untold. Healthcare Untold. Healthcare Untold.